Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 22 is our text this morning, and we're going to consider uh, Abraham's life, as Drew mentioned, and uh, observe the continuity of, of faith in his life and how God allowed trial into his life so that he might uh, uh, see an improvement in Abraham's faith to make him stronger, cause him to be more devoted to him. And uh, let's uh, read the text. It's in verse, uh, verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Lord, as we look into this text, give us the eyes, the spiritual eyes to see the glory of your being to become uh, completely captivated, Lord, with our sight of you. May you increase our capacity to see you and to trust you and to serve you, obey you. And may we find the blessings that you promise. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, James, who we heard from this morning, the Apostle James in his letter, uh, Dave read for us, and really thankful for, for that reading. Um, we heard about Abraham and his faith being connected to works. Uh, James also, at the beginning of his book, talks about trials and also tells us that God cannot be tempted with, with evil, nor does he tempt people to sin. However, James also talks about how the trials enter into our lives for a purpose at the hand of God. There is a purpose that God gives in order to test the quality of our faith. Now, does God need to test us in order to know what is in us? Does God need to do that? Well, when God does this, He already knows what's in us, but He has a purpose he intends to draw out of us uh, a picture for us to see the strength of our faith and the quality. He intends actually to strengthen our faith and cause us to become more devoted to Him. Now, there is another who stands at the edge of a trial and in offers us temptation. That's the evil one. He has a different intention. He doesn't intend to strengthen our faith. He intends to weaken our faith. He wants us to become less devoted to God. And so, at a moment of trial, there is also an equal opportunity of temptation. Uh, when trials come, we, as it were, we enter a fork in the road. We must make a decision. Robert Frost, a uh, very famous American poet, 
of the last century, wrote about life decisions in his poem called The Road Not Taken. Some of you probably have read that in grade school or have heard that through time gone by, but Frost describes two roads that he sees diverging in the wood, and he, he can only see to the bend. He can't see really what's around the corner. And they both look potentially good, and yet he, as he analyzes them, he decides and actually gives us a clue for how we consider how to respond in trials. How do we respond in trials? What he did was he said, I took the one less traveled, and that made all the difference. That's a remarkable piece of advice, actually, from someone who most of his life was a self-professed atheist. He considered that the road less traveled was the one that made the difference. And that's very remarkably similar to what Jesus said. Jesus said that the broad road, the more traveled road, is the one that leads to destruction. It's the road that actually looks inviting because others have gone that way. But it's the less traveled way, the narrow way, that brings blessing. It is the, the narrow way that few find. And those who have eyes to see and trust God's direction and obeying Him will find that their lives are fuller and they have rich blessing. And that road that's less traveled is what we're going to be considered, considering here because Abraham traveled that less traveled road. And so it's important for us to observe uh, from Abraham's life, that his firm faith in God resulted in a devoted life, the road less traveled, and I think we can take encouragement that even if we have been given a little bit of faith, that faith can accomplish great things for Christ. So, what do you do when you are in a trial? You know, Satan is there standing ready to give you an easy way out. There is always a quick and easy way to remedy or take yourself out of testing, and that's the temptation. But I want us to realize that if we short-circuit what God is doing in a trial, we forfeit the benefit of having a stronger faith and a life that's more devoted to Him. Faith is a perfecting work of God in our lives. So, let's think about this text, and I, I'm going to develop this idea from this text, and I hope you'll be able to see it, and it's not just something that Pastor Banks is saying, but that it is coming from the text. I want you to see how that a firm faith causes a person to do what they otherwise could not do in a trial. There are all kinds of trials in our lives, all kinds. We have trials that come about because of who we are as a person. We have trials because some of us have these natural tendencies within our, our makeup towards maybe irritability, towards anxiety, towards despair. And this physical trial that we experience is no less real. It is a trial that we live with. And in that moment of awareness of our own personal personal issues, we also can recognize that God is going to be able to bring us through them where we can yield to temptation. 
We may have stress of responsibility of work. We have stresses that are placed upon us by our governments. We have stresses that are placed upon us by family members. Also, due to school responsibilities. All of these are trials that we experience. We have trials that are emergencies. Things that just come out from nowhere that we don't expect. There is a diagnosis of sickness that's nigh unto death. We have family members that we lose all of a sudden, and these are real trials. Persecution comes, and that is also a trial. How do we respond in that moment of trial? Abraham, the man of faith, experienced a variety of trials, and in verses 17 to 19, we're going to see how his faith overcame them. It caused him to do what he otherwise could not possibly have done. And there's encouragement here for us. And then in the balance of the verses, 20 to 22, we're going to see three illustrations of Abraham's children and grandchildren reaping the benefit of his action and faith showing up in their lives and in the decisions and trials that they were experiencing. So let's look at the first grouping of verses, verses 17 and 19. I want us to see that faith's firmness is measured by its sight. I'm just going to read those verses again where we see a more extended example in Abraham. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back Now, in these three verses, there is a key that opens the door towards a firm faith. There is three little words that if we can grasp and hold on to, it will open the door towards a firmer faith in God. It's these three words that God is able. Do you see it? He considered that God was able This was his spiritual capacity to see that God was infinitely able to do what he said he could do. And that in itself is an awakening, an awareness that's provided you by the Holy Spirit to be able to see what others cannot see. It's that mustard seed, that little open keyhole that, that you look through and you can see that God is able... That is essential for you to have a firmness of faith. Now, we should not suppose that Abraham had something that you or I don't have. Abraham had, he had something that we all have. At least if we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we believe in the resurrection of Christ. If we have that capacity to see, we have something that Abraham also had. He believed that God is able. Now, there is a difference between what we might describe the gift of faith and the grace of faith. A gift of faith would be a special capacity to be able to see, for example, something miraculous, maybe someone who who has a, a death diagnosis, and you could see something that others couldn't see, almost on the level of a prophet or a 
an apostle that you could see that they're going to recover. That would be what the Bible would describe as the gift of faith. But what is given to every Christian, though, regardless of our gifting, is the grace of faith. We have been given eyes to see that God exists and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. That's something that we all have in common. And so, what the grace of faith says is, if I first seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all His promises will come to pass for me. That is what we would call the the grace of faith that's provided to you by the Holy Spirit. And this is really important to grasp because what is being described by the writer here is common for us all. First off, I want us to see in verse 17 that a firm faith sustained Abraham through testing. Verse 17, we have the description of a very severe test, a trial. Abraham is he's commanded to do something that no reason could justify. Um, he was asked to do something that might even seem very abhorrent. It should feel abhorrent to anyone who has a child. He was asked to do something that seemed to be a, against what might have been the will of God. To sacrifice his son, that's abhorrent to any parent. But not only must he consent to the sacrifice of his son, you know what? He actually has to be the one who carries it out. That is a severe, severe trial. To be asked to do this, and everything within you is fighting against what you've been asked to do. He was even given time to consider. Given time to consider to go a a several-day journey to a mountain and to take his son up the hill, he had lots of time to consider what he was doing or what he maybe not wanting to do. It seemed so irrational. He probably could have thought of a, a dozen reasons. You know, this is against the divine law. I mean, we're not supposed to take human blood. Like, what is God asking me to do? He may have even thought to himself, what is, what, what, how is this going to look in the media? How is this going to appear to all the other nations around me that God has asked me to do something like this? I doubt that many of us could have done what Abraham did. I don't think I could have. But Abraham's firm faith in God was sustained, and he was able to push through this trial because Abraham had experienced lesser trials through his life to be able to get him to this point where he could do and to work through this severe trial. Abraham learned to trust God's ability. And so, I think it's important for us to realize that that he was only able to sustain be sustained through that trial because of his firm faith, and he was, he was able to perform his duty because his faith was firm. Look, verse 18, we have a very interesting quotation. He says, this is one that he was asked to, uh, 
to respond to had said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So, he is on the one hand told a promise about his son, and on the other hand, he is told, you've got to do what I've asked you to do. You need to take the life of your son. I think it's important for us to realize that Hebrews doesn't tell every detail of Abraham's life. And to get to this point of being able to perform this duty, there were many lesser duties that Abraham performed. And so, I want us to realize that Abraham had many fits and starts in his life. He had been led to the brink several times, and he had not, he had not, been, he had not carried himself through and done his duty well in other experiences and learned in that moment how, how better it is if he actually does perform his duty. Now, that phrase, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, what that is is the declarative word of God. It is a promise of God. It would be like for us saying, you know what, this is a Bible verse. This is a Bible reference, and God has said it, I need to believe it, and I need to claim it as my very own. It's a precious promise. And Abraham learned to take God's Word very seriously, and that allowed him to be able to trust God that he knew what he was doing. Now, Abraham learned to take God seriously in his younger days because he had been told to go out from his homeland and go to a country that the Lord would show him. And upon his arrival, Abraham entered the promised land, and when he was in the promised land, things were going pretty well. Things were going smooth. But then a trial presented itself. A famine came into the land, and in that famine things began to get very difficult. And he didn't have a new revelation from God, and so he had, the only thing he had to go on was, go to the land that I will show you. Abraham had been told to go to the land. He was not told to leave the land. Abraham justified in his mind, well, it would make sense for me not to starve and my flocks to die. Let's go down to Egypt and let's go there and see if I can't not solve this problem. How did that go for Abraham? It didn't go well. That was Abraham's fork in the road. Did you see that? The trial was upon him. He had a temptation. Would he follow God or would he follow himself? And in the end, he chose to follow the wicked one who led him away from a devotion in God and a weakening of his faith. He went into Egypt, and while he was there, his wife was taken into the harem of Pharaoh. He nearly had his life taken. He was humiliated, and he was forced to leave the land and go back out with his tail between his legs. I don't have time to develop the whole story, but the reality here is, is that God does allow moments of pain and humiliation into our lives so that we might then trust God in the future, that we might have a more firm faith. And I do believe that Abraham 
from that previous experience, learn to take God's Word seriously. You know, God loved Abraham. He put thorns in his path in order to cause him to become more devoted to God. He learned in that experience the importance of a duty to God's Word. Now, that's not legalistic. Obedience to God's Word is actually an expression of your devotion and your faith and love for Him. So, this experience really prepared him for an even more severe trial, this one in which he must then consider God's specific Word to him to sacrifice his son, and yet he had this other Word from God. Instead of trying to solve the problem himself, what he did was he decided to let God solve the problem, and he decided to just go ahead and be obedient to what God had called him to do. He did his duty. Now, a firm faith, um, a firm faith is the performance of one's duty, but it is also that through that firm faith that we obtain a blessing. And this is how Abraham obtained the blessing. In verse 19, it describes how that he received back his son as if it were from the dead. See, Abraham resolved the tension in God's word by supposing that God is able. He considered that God was able to do the impossible, like raise his son from the dead. That's God's problem. I'll let him figure it out. He's told me to do this. I'm going to do it. Now, I don't doubt that that wasn't still painful, but that firm faith in God sustained him through it. Abraham didn't say, I need to help God along here. He had learned that lesson long ago. He learned it in that experience of leaving the land, but you know what? He also learned that lesson when, when the son wasn't born yet. He and his wife came up with this plan to, to, for him to sleep with his, his wife's servant in order to have a surrogate pregnancy so that he might then maybe help God along. It seemed like maybe God had lost his capacity to kind of fulfill his, his role. <laughs> Satan was there too, standing at that crossroad in that trial, and he yielded to temptation. And a failure to take God's Word seriously resulted in pain and suffering there. But the important thing for us to see in this is that scars, scars do not have to keep us from experiencing a firmer faith. Scars do not have to destroy us. If you think of all the great names in the Bible, every person in the Bible has had moments of failure. But all of these experiences, when given the moment of humility, repentance, and forgiveness, they were then able to find a greater degree of confidence in God Himself. If you've fallen as a Christian... We ought not be discouraged that God cannot ever use us again. We need to remember that God is able. He's able to use our failing to prepare us for future success in walking with Him. When we take God's Word 
as it is given to us, we can obtain God's richest blessings. Now, there's a curious little phrase here that I think should encourage us. It says there that um, He took God literally, and, and then there's a sense in which there was a figurative reception of His Son back from the dead. Now, that word figuratively, I believe, is more properly understood as foreshadowing. It's kind of a term that they use to say, well, that there's a, a type here, there's an anticipation of something greater. And I don't know if Abraham fully grasped what he was doing in that moment of believing that God could raise his son from the dead, but there was a future son of Abraham that God would raise from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about that. We don't always understand the full extent of when we obey the Lord. We don't have the capacity to see around the bend in our road. But when we by faith believe that God is able to solve any potential crisis that our obedience may create, there are unintended consequences that God will have in the future. It may be in our coming generation, our children, and other generations down the road. I think of the determination of some missionaries. Just recently, we had celebrated the 60th anniversary of the killing of the missionaries to the Alca Indians in Ecuador. Sixty years ago in January, January 8th, uh, five missionaries went in and landed their, their uh, plane on a small sandy strip near, near the river in Ecuador, thinking that they had built up good rapport with the Indians they were going to seek to evangelize. A tribe that had a homicide rate of 60%, a very dark tribe, and they pushed through to bring the gospel to that community. And on that morning, on January 8th, all five of them were killed with spears and hacked to death. But prior to that event, on October 28th, 1949, Jim Elliott, in his own personal journal, wrote these words, and that's his actual journal, He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That firmness of faith to be able to fly into the Ecuadorian jungles didn't just come out of nowhere. It came through progressive moments of taking God at His word and building up a firmness of faith. Jim Elliott's Faith was not a gift as if it's not something that any of us, you know, it's not something that any of us should ever say, you know, well, we couldn't ever do anything like that. We all have the same grace of faith that Jim Elliot had. We all have the capacity to believe God and take His Word and to be obedient when trials come. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, this morning, the idea I'm trying to communicate is that a firm faith causes a person to do what otherwise they could not do in a trial. And so I want us to now move into the second half of these verses, and I want us to see three more just very brief examples. I'm not going to go into as much depth here, but I want us to see three further examples within Abraham's family that kind of highlight these truths of, of, of sustaining through, through trial, doing one's duty, and receiving blessing. And I want us to see 
um, these children. And I want us to understand that when we purpose like Abraham, when we purpose in our hearts to live faithfully for God regardless of the cost, we're planting seeds in a successive generation. I, uh, I know it is difficult. Listen, Carrie, I had my, my notes here, you know, already just the, to try to encourage parents. You know, things are difficult when your hands are full, and a child running down the, on, down the aisle, is a, I think it's a beautiful thing to see a parent striving, desiring to be here in the body. What a blessing that that was. To me, I was blessed seeing that. A lot of parents give up, and they do not even bother. And it's so critically important to realize that when we, by faith, do that which is difficult, what we're doing is we're planting seeds in generations to come. And if we, can't, we often can't see it in the moment in which we're experiencing those trials. But God promises to do something that we cannot see. That's literally here in my notes. <laughs> And I hope I didn't embarrass you, dear. You're doing a good job. But we have to practice our spiritual disciplines. We can't see what's around the corner. But we have to trust God who is around the corner. Critically important for us. But we also need to know that our children and grandchildren are watching our acts and observing us, observing our perseverance in the midst of trials. Now, Isaac, Isaac was that son of promise. In verse 20, we have a description of him not allowing his emotions to rule his life. He was in a moment of trial. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. In verse 20, it says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And... uh, (laughs) Isaac favored his son, and I know that's not his, his most becoming trait. As a parent, we ought not to create the impression of favorites within our family. But for some reason, Isaac was more attached to Esau, the mighty hunter-gatherer, son. And yet, in spite of this, what's remarkable is that Even when his emotions wanted to take him in this direction, once the Word of God had been communicated, he was not going to try to thwart or change God's benediction, God's promise. Remember that Jacob slipped in and he received that blessing and Esau came in and when he figured out what had happened, he he started to cry and to weep and he said, Father, haven't you got a blessing for me too? And here's the point. Isaac did not try to do what the false prophet Balaam did. Remember Balaam? Balaam wanted to curse Israel so that he could get the king's money. His emotions wanted the money. And he was willing to try to overturn God's word because he desired the money more. Isaac wanted blessings for his son, but yet he submitted himself. He did not allow his emotions to overrule the Word of God, an important thing for us to understand. 
And we as Christians ought not to allow our emotions to cause, cause us to deviate from God's Word. Satan loves to manipulate our emotions. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, the worst decisions that we've ever made was when we were filled with emotion. And so a firm faith causes a person to do what they otherwise could not do in a trial. Number two illustration here, Jacob. Jacob did not hesitate to do his duty just like his, his father. In verse 21, uh, we have a description of him blessing uh, Joseph's sons. In verse 21, it says, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. This is a very parallel experience. You have a replication in the next generation again, and then you also see Jacob being very willing to do his duty. Now, the difference between Jacob and his father was that when, when Isaac was receiving his sons, he thought he was getting Esau in front of him. The difference here is Jacob, Jacob was told, now, on your right hand is this son, and on your left hand is this son. He knew in advance what was going to be presented to him. But when they arrived, he sensed within his soul that he needed to give the superior blessing to the youngest. And what did he do? He did his duty. He went like this, and he blessed the younger over the older. He did his duty knowing full well what God would have him to do. Emotional as well for Joseph, who's looking on, in which he said, um, in Genesis, you can read it there. No, not so, my father. Do it this way. And no, Jacob instead said, no, I must follow what God wants me to say. Jacob did his duty. And so he did that because he had a firm faith in God who was able to carry out his word. A third example here. I don't know why my thing is so chirpy this morning. But in Joseph, we see a third example in which Joseph himself did not turn away from future blessings. So in all this, a firmness of faith. You know, he's, we all, he's experiencing trial. And Joseph here didn't turn away even upon his dead death, dead, uh, bed death. Did I say it again wrong? Oh, goodness. Trials. Death bed. He did not turn away from his death bed from then seeking future blessing. Verse 22, we see here giving instruction. At the end of his life, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. He didn't want his bones to stay in Egypt. They want, he wanted them to go back to the promised land. He also believed in a future resurrection. He didn't want his bones to be resurrected in Egypt. He wanted to be resurrected in Canaan, the place of his, his the promise, the place that was designated for his, his family. What a beautiful example of faith. Even at the end, when you think, well, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going I'm to be gone. It's not going to matter. <laughs> no, no, no. He made preparations because he knew that it did matter. He believed 
that God would resurrect him from the, from the grave. I think it's such a beautiful expression. May our lives express that kind of faith, that even upon our deathbed, we're anticipating what's going to happen next for our lives. And so we have, through these examples, children reaping the benefit, reaping the benefit of a father's faith, a firm faith causing Abraham to do that which he would not otherwise be able to do in trial. And as we consider this, testing is like that fork in the road, two roads diverging in the wood. Satan is intending the experience for your bad, but yet God, on the other hand, is extending, intending good for you. He wants you to have a, more, uh, a, a greater faith in Him. He wants you to be more devoted to Him. And so, when we have trials in our lives, and our, and our lives are filled with trial, I wouldn't think anyone would have said that last year was like a breeze. We all have trials, but they're intended for us to draw near to God, not to fall away. And so, we come to His throne of grace, and Jesus is not unsympathetic. He was in all points tested like we were, and so He extends to us grace and forgiveness, and He wants us to, to be more firm in our faith and love for Him. And we need to consider in these moments in which we are under pressure and under trials, why is it that I, in my own body, experience seasons of despair? Why is it? I might not have the why, but this is where I find myself. How am I going to persevere through this trial? I have a tendency maybe towards irritability. I don't know what your particular season of life and trial, it might be physical ailments that you are struggling with. That just, you just never seem to be able to get over some infection that's a trial. But in that trial, there's also opportunity for temptation, but there's also potential for triumph and firmness of faith. Our daily living, responsibilities. How can I be faithful to all my personal responsibilities to my family and to my work and to my school or whatever? Do I then forget about God? No. God is there to help us through those trials. When life gets busy, we don't just give up on God or put Him to the back burner. God is the most important one in this relationship. Emergencies come, and persecutions are coming. In our lesser trials that we're experiencing now in our relative world of comfort, we need to be taking account of how we respond in trials today so that when the government says that you cannot meet in person, that we will then be able to persevere and do so anyway in obedience to God's Word. A firm faith causes a person to do what they otherwise could not do. And if we would take seriously even an unbeliever, 
who said, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It makes all the difference. And your heavenly Father loves you deeply. We may fail in moments of trial and yield to temptation, but your God is able to work these things together for your good, for His glory, and for your joy. He is a good and gracious God. Let's listen to His voice. Let's follow Him in, the, in His Word.